I am nervous right now. Okay? And it's, I think it's true of anyone who stands up here and teaches the Word. It's because it's not anything that we have to say, and it's not that what we're saying is important, but it's because of what we're speaking of is so important. The Word of God is significant, and it matters. And it's something that we all need to take to heart. It's something we need to embrace. Today's lesson, it is going to resonate with some of you very loudly. As I start telling kind of the personal illustration of the morning, some of you are going to say, oh, I know this. And others of you are going to go, what is he talking about? I'm going to ask those of you who are in that what is he talking about camp to hang on because we are going to speak to all of us today because the message of God that we've got does matter to every one of us. And there's a place within the story that we're going to tell today for every one of us. But for those who right out of the gate hear it and say, oh yeah, just know that there is a message of hope for you today because our God is so big. And that is where we rest and well, where we take our joy from in this life. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. And this is, I want to make sure we qualify something out of the gate. We're going to be reading about Paul's thorn in the flesh. So right out of the gate, let's not be John chapter 9 people. All right, you get to John chapter 9, you've got the disciples walking down the road with Jesus, and they ask him, as they look at the blind man, hey, who sinned? This man or his parents because he was born blind? The man was blind. No one had sinned, Jesus said. But the works of God can be done because of what's happening here. So we're going to talk about struggle a little bit today. And as we talk about struggles that people have, we sometimes will say, well, what are what they did wrong? Sometimes people just struggle. Sometimes it's just a fact of life. And it's not about sin. But we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul is talking about the visions that he's seen and, and how incredible it is and how he could be a person that could boast because of what he's seen. And he gets down to uh, verse 7, and we'll start there. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. A thorn in the flesh. I, I, I love this because when we read this, the question is, well, what was the thorn in the flesh? What was it that was bothering Paul? And if you go online or if you start talking to people, there's all kind of speculation about what it could be. I love that it doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. Because by not telling us by not telling us what Paul was struggling with, it allows us to be open to interpretation. It allows us to embrace it. And I think because we're not told 
there's also lesson within it for us. And there's an ability to identify with Paul in this. Because if we went through the room today, and I just sat and asked you, what are you struggling with today? Some of you would be very transparent and would talk about what is bothering you. Others of you, you wouldn't be so open about it. You'd want to keep it hidden. You'd want to keep it secret. But reality is, all of us, at some point, have all struggled. And some, though, carry a thorn in the flesh around, just like Paul did. And these thorns, they get into the life, and they become heavy, and they become burdens. And we have to walk with them anyway. Now, I will tell you, this was not the lesson I planned today. I was driving back from San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and was talking to Jeff Martin about what I was going to teach. And I said, Jeff, I've got this lesson in my head about covenants and grace and relationships and all of that. And I said, but I keep being bothered by this other lesson. And Jeff said, well, go with the other lesson. So the lesson you're getting today is Jeff's fault. And... And, and I hate it because I was, I'm reluctant to tell, because there is a personal story that is associated with it. And it's not one I like to tell. It's not one that I haven't told before. It's not one that people don't know about. But it is the story of a thorn. And it's my thorn in the flesh. The one that I carry around. And it's, it's a bizarre one. Here I'm in the aviation capital of the world. A lot of y'all aren't going to get this. But it happened to me. It was January of 2000. I did the math myself. I was 38 years old then. Okay? It was January of 2000. The new year had just kind of swung over, and I was going to Orange County, California, uh, to have a meeting with a gentleman named Burhan Nasser. Burhan's an incredible story in and of himself. He's a medical doctor uh, who, well, actually, he's part of the, he's part of the, uh, he's from Jordan with a, deep family history there, comes here to become a doctor, then he gets in the food business of all things. Burhan is an incredibly interesting guy. And so I'm going to have a meeting with Burhan Nasser, and going along with me are three or four of the guys that work with me, and we're going out to set up several distribution deals and to do some pretty significant business. And Burhan is kind of the key to all that. Well, I'm flying in on the fly, I'm flying in, and we're on approach to John Wayne Airport, Orange County, and I'm just going through all the checklists in my head, and all of a sudden, I, I get a little choked. Okay, well, that's a little unusual. Don't know what's going on there. I get a little choked. And, you know, okay, what's happening here? Then I take a sip of water, and my hand is shaking a little bit. Okay, now, uh, so you can know, I'm really not bothered by flying that much. At this point in my life, I've already accumulated 2 million miles on American Airlines. I have another million sitting on Delta Airlines. I traveled a lot. But as we kind of just kept going, I just kept getting a little more, you know, my hands were shaking. I was getting a little, you know, a little choked up and really didn't know what was happening. But, you know, plane landed and got off and went outside. One of the guys was there to pick me up in the rental car. And we go to lunch with Burhan. And we're sitting at a little uh, Chinese restaurant. And I order walnut shrimp. Can you tell there's an impact from this day going on with me? Because I can remember a lot of little details. I ordered walnut shrimp and I start eating. Well, while I'm eating, all of a sudden, again, I feel like I'm choking. Okay, now I'm a little bothered, but I don't want to make a scene at the table, so I excuse myself and walk away. I think, maybe, am I having an allergic reaction to the, you know, to the walnuts? Never had a nut reaction before. 
And, uh, you know, after a few minutes, I kind of calm back down, go back in. It happens again. Well, at this point, Burhan looks at me and he's, you know what? We probably need to take you to the hospital. And so we get in Burhan's car and we drive me to the hospital. As we're driving to the hospital, I think I'm about to die. We get to the hospital. They rush me back to the little room. I got the little gown on. And I kind of calm down. And here's the absurd part of the story. All the guys went to the hospital with me. Okay? And I'm back in the little room waiting on a doctor in my little gown, and they're all coming back one or two at a time so we can try to finish up the deal that we're making while I'm there. Okay? Uh, By the way, 38-year-old Gary was a lot more wound up than 61-year-old Gary, okay? You know, I was a young man in a hurry, but we're trying to get the deal done. Well, okay, doctor can't find anything. I'm apparently not going to die right there. So back to work. And we, you know, finish up the deal. Everything's great. Life is good. I go back to the hotel. We're staying uh, out in Newport Beach, California, beautiful place. There's a back bay there. And I go off for a run uh, about four or five miles after having been in the hospital about four hours earlier. I get my run in. Life is good. I go to the airport the next morning. Time to come home. Been a, it's a good morning because I've got a first-class upgrade. A young man named Jeff Bailey who works with me has a first-class upgrade as well. Tim Perry and uh, uh, Mark Smith are in the back of the plane. They don't get to sit with us. And we're at John Wayne. We're, about, we're, we're, we're backed up from the gate. And all of a sudden, I think I'm going to die. My heart starts pounding. I start feel like I'm choking again. And I, I call the flight attendant over. And I, I say, ma'am, I think I'm about to die. I, I, think we need to go back. I need to go back to the gate and get off of the plane. Now, she, oh, you're just a little nervous. It'll be okay. And she goes away, and I call her back and say, no, ma'am, I think I'm dying right here. Well, she decides, I think, at that point, that the paperwork is easier for her if I die on the ground instead of the plane. We take the 757 back to the gate. I get off the plane. I'm forever grateful. Why you don't do personal stories on these days? Where are you, Jeff? I told you I was going to look at you when I got here. Okay. We go back to the gate. Jeff gets off the plane with me. And we're sitting in the terminal of the airport. And I don't know what to do. I am shaking. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm about to die. And I'm smart enough to know after the visit to the hospital the day before that it's not a heart attack. I don't know what's going on here. This is... This has never happened before. Jeff sits there with me, and we just sit for quite a while. You know, the flight attendant comes over and asks about rebooking us. Not the flight attendant, the gate attendant. There is no way I'm flying home. I know that already at this point. You can see that we're sitting in Orange County, California, and there is a drive to Fort Smith, Arkansas, that is going to have to occur over the next couple of three days. That's the only thing I know already. And I don't know what Jeff is going to do, but thankfully he decided he'd make that drive with me. We sit there finally, and uh, we go to the payphone, and we make a phone call to Michael Cole. Michael Cole is my doctor. And we explain to Michael what's happening. And I love his reaction right away. Michael is a Christian. He's one of the elders at the West Ark Church of Christ over in Fort Smith. Great guy. His first, his first response is, Gary, you're going to live through this. 
You're going to be okay. His second response, and some of you know the story of my father. He's an, he was an alcoholic. Uh, the next thing he says, I know why your dad was an alcoholic now. Those are the next words out of his mouth. It got my attention. I'm having a panic. I'm having an anxiety attack. And he explains to me right then, kind of, he's a very intellectual guy. He explains to me that a lot of men of my dad's generation wouldn't sought help for something like that. And a lot of men in our own generation don't do it as well. But that dad was drinking to calm his anxiety most likely. And I've talked to enough of you to know that you've had those same struggles in your family and that those same self-medication things were being practiced. So he told me what was going on. So Jeff and I now have to figure out what to do. I'm not getting on an airplane right then. It's not going to happen. So Jeff and I rent a car. It was a big Lincoln. I remember that too. And we were driving across the country. There was one point we got pulled over by the police. Uh, They didn't know what we were doing. Jeff was speeding or something. He tells Jeff to get out of the car. He tells us not to go near his back window because there's a dog back there. And Jeff went and got near the dog. And it was a scene and everything else. But Jeff and I drove over a couple of days. And those couple of days were interesting. Because every so often, we'll be just sitting in the car. And all of a sudden... I can't take it anymore. I'm about to die. My heart races up. feel like I'm choking. I don't know what's happening here. I'm 38. I'm a fairly driven young man. And I think life is falling apart right then. It's a very humbling experience that's going on. Well, I get home. My wife is there. The kids, you know, are trying to figure out what's going on with dad. And, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do. And, We get home, and that weekend on Sunday, I was supposed to leave for Atlanta. Uh, You guys might not believe this, but there's actually a big convention of all the chicken people every year in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's thousands upon thousands of chicken people. I was supposed to be speaking at 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 the conference, and I felt I needed to go. So I loaded up in the car. No way I was going to fly that day. I loaded up in the car. I made it. Anybody here know their geography? Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, to Van Buren, Arkansas. Anybody know that drive? Okay, who said, who said yeah? Yeah, that drive, that drive is what, 15 miles, maybe? Yeah, probably 15 miles from my house. And there's this big bridge there, okay? So that bridge is there, and I've got to go over that bridge. I get over that bridge, and I can't breathe. I can't talk. I can't do anything. I have to pull off the road. And I know at that point, I'm not driving to Atlanta that day either. Because I know that the Mississippi River is on down the road a piece. It took me, by the way, I'm about 12 minutes from my house. It took me an hour to get home. I go in the house, explain to my wife what is going on and what's happening. And we change our plan. I'm going to go to Harrison, Arkansas with them for the weekend instead of heading off to uh, heading off to Atlanta. So we go, we go on the road to Harrison, Arkansas, and I'm not driving, she's driving, and I'm hanging on to the dashboard of the car every so often. I, I mean, this is, I was like, what is happening here? We get to Harrison, and I'm with my brother-in-law, and we go to Walmart. How many times have you been to Walmart in your life? Anybody here been to Walmart a hundred times in your life? Okay. 
I mean, I don't know how many thousands upon thousands of times I've been in Walmart. This is not a threatening environment. But I'll never forget, Mark and I are walking through Walmart. And all of a sudden, again, I can't move. I literally have to stand there. This goes on all weekend long. We're trying to build a treehouse for the girls. And I'm up in there trying to do the treehouse. And every 30 seconds, I'm going right back down the ladder again. And then, you know, I, you know, you try to get my courage back up and go back up the ladder and get up there. Then I'm back down the ladder again, up and back, just back and forth. I go to the office the next week. Again, how many times have I walked into my office? How many times have I gone into the conference room where we have our weekly meeting, our staff meeting? I got to the door of the conference room. I couldn't open it to go in. This is a door that I have walked through a thousand times. I couldn't open the door. And I didn't know what was happening. And I was absolutely terrified. And this goes on for several months. My job involves traveling. My work means I have to go places. And all of a sudden, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck because of this anxiety that's paralyzing. Some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about already. Others of you have something else that is your thorn in the flesh. Some of you, it is a grief that you just can't get rid of, that you have had for years, and it just won't go away. For others of you, it may be a feeling of inadequacy that was beat into you as you were growing up and you still carry right now. We have these thorns in the flesh, and they paralyze us. It happens. It's real. And we come here and we put on our happy faces and we don't want to talk about it. Calling Will? Nobody's calling Will. We don't want to go see him and tell him we may have a problem of some kind. There you go. Will says, get in here, Gary. I got to see you tomorrow. Anyhow, you know, we don't want to deal with these things transparently. We don't want to talk about it. But there are some lessons. And here's what I I really love about this. It is a watershed moment in my life. It was a thing that made a difference and turned me into a different person. Not a complete person, not all the way a better person, but a different person. Because there were lessons that were valuable for me in this. First of all, why did Paul get his thorn in the flesh? Uh, it's, It's one of those things we don't like to say. To keep him from becoming conceited. Yeah. Keep him from becoming conceited. Now, God may have given you a thorn in the flesh for a different reason altogether. But what was happening in my life at this point? I'm 38 years old. And I I don't say these things. I'm just telling you these things so you can know the path my life was. I'm 38 years old. I'm the senior vice president of sales and marketing for the fourth largest poultry company in the world. I sit on the board of directors for my daughter's school and the foundation board. I'm teaching three classes at church because teaching one or two would not have been enough. I'm coaching basketball, three different teams. Oh, and by the way, I'm trying to run a marathon every three months. Life was very full. And besides those things, my father had been ill for about six, uh, two years, but the last six months have been pretty difficult. We had that stress going on. My grandmother had passed away. We had a significant issue at work. That was a real distraction. That's a story for another day. 
It was impacting a lot of people within the company and adding additional responsibilities to a handful of us as they dealt with that issue. Life was good in my head, though. I remember at nights giving the girls their baths, putting them to bed, and thinking this is a Norman Rockwell painting in my head. By the way, I've looked at Norman Rockwell paintings a a little more closely since then. They're really not as happy as we think they are sometimes. Um, We have an illusion about them. But life was good. Life had stressors. Life was full, but life was probably too full. We get busy. And men, and this is getting another lesson for another day, but men, sometimes we get very busy and we think, oh, this is all for my family. No, <laughs> no, we like all these things sometimes. We sometimes kid ourselves into thinking it's for our family when it's really for us. Another lesson, another day, though, but that was free there. And so I started looking at some scripture, Micah 6.8, one of my favorite passages. As we talk about being humbled, and we talk about what God wants from us, God doesn't need proud people. 38-year-old Gary was proud. 38-year-old Gary needed humbling. So God gave me, I believe to this day, a thorn in the flesh to slow me down. And it worked. And I had to come to grips with some things. I was not a humble person. I'm probably still not a humble as I should be. I'm still not humble. But I know it's something I should be, and it's something I strive to be. I love Micah 6, chapter 8. You know, they're going through these things of what should I do and what should I be to please God. And uh, you get down to Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What's God want from us? He doesn't want all these things that we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking. What he wants us to do is be just with other people. He wants us to be kind to other people. He wants us to walk humbly with him. I mean, I love that old song, you know, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all I demand. It's a simple, simple song. But that's all that God is asking for from us. Just what he's given us is just return that. It's no more than that. A thorn in the flesh can be very humbling. Those of you who have a thorn in the flesh today, you know it can be. You know it can be a humbling thing. You know it can wear you out at times. But the first thing I took away, the first thing I learned from all this is humility is important. And it's something we should embrace more of. And we should, go, we should be a humble people. Here were some of the greater lessons I found, though. And this is the thing that, boy, I love this part. In the body of Christ, we have people who will help you with your thorn. People will rally around you when you're experiencing these problems, when you are challenged with something. I, to this day, Jeff Bailey, Jeff Bailey had no reason to get off that airplane. He gets off that airplane. Jeff Bailey had no reason to spend the next three days driving across the country with me and putting up with how I was reacting in the moment. But Jeff Bailey got in that car, Jeff Bailey drove that car, and he got me home. Tom Webb, my cousin actually, 
Tom Webb was also the president of our company. Tom, every day, checking on me, making sure I was okay. And here's what I love. When I finally did get on a plane again, Tom made sure the first plane I got on was with him and was the company plane. And that way we could talk to a pilot. I could see and hear what was going on. Incredible acts of kindness. These teens have all heard about Chip, Troy, and Fred all all the time that I've known them. Chip, Troy, and Fred, every day a call, Gary, how are you? And by the way, this was when making a call took effort because everybody didn't have cell phones then. They would call every day and check how it was. Michael Cole, my doctor, came to the house multiple times just to sit and talk. How many of you have a doctor that will come and just sit and talk with you at your house? He didn't have to do that, but he did that. Jerry Canfield, just a good man who spent time, as a, he's a lawyer by trade, he's a, prof, he's a missionary by heart. And Jerry shows up at the house multiple times just to sit and pray and to check on me. There were people every step of the way who stood with me and took care of me and in my eyes rescued me during this window of time in my life. And by the way, by the way, candidly, uh, that still happens today. I've still got this thorn. It hasn't gone away completely. I still carry it around. When I drive across a big bridge, I, I feel like I'm being sucked off the edge. Now, here's what's funny. If I'm driving across the bridge, I feel like I'm going to be sucked off the edge of it somehow. And by the way, I'm working a lot in California right now and having to drive back and forth across the Golden Gate Bridge. Jeff Martin and Kathy Bishop have both gotten calls when I'm driving across the Golden Gate Bridge to help keep me calm. Now, the funny thing about that is I can run across the Golden Gate Bridge with absolutely no problems. I don't just, again, explain this stuff to me. I don't know. But anyhow, but here's the thing. Here's what I want your attention, okay? Because if you don't know your thorn in the flesh, if you don't have one, congratulations. The rest of us here who do have a thorn in the flesh, we need you. We need you to come alongside us and to help us with our thorn. We need people to be our support network. Again, I just named off a lot of names here, didn't I? Not a one of those people I mentioned battled anxiety at any point. I don't think they did, at least. Not a one of them did. But they came alongside and they helped. You can be a blessing to somebody who is struggling in anxiety. And I love Philippians 2, 1 and 11. There's direction for us in this. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, let's, we're going to start in verse 3. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Look out for other people. Don't worry about your issues. Take care of other people. But listen to this. Uh, listen to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Serve other people. Why are you going to serve other people? Well, why would you not serve other people after what Jesus has done for you? He left heaven to come here. Heaven's far greater than here. He left there to come here. He left there to die on a cross for you. Why would you not look out for other people? Why would you not think that other people were more significant? And now, for those of you who have a thorn, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to hear me on this, because sometimes we think our thorn in the flesh makes us unuseful. It makes us people who aren't adequate to serve in the kingdom of God. Here's what I will promise you. Your thorn in the flesh is your greatest path to serving other people. It is how you can work with people. And if you tell people about your thorn in the flesh, if you're transparent with people about these things, I'm going to promise you right now, those opportunities will come to your door. And when I say they will come to your door, I mean they will literally come to your door. Four, five, six months down the road, my life's returned somewhat to normal. I'm still struggling. It's about 9, 9.30 at night, and our front doorbell rings. Who's coming to see us at 9, 9.30 at night? You know. I open the door, and there is this five-foot-two girl and this six-foot-five guy who must weigh 275, 280 pounds. And he is crying like a baby. And the wife just says, we've heard y'all dealt with anxiety. Can we talk to you? Here is this hulking family that we had never seen before, never met before, but through some relationship or acquaintance, they wind up at our front door to talk about my thorn in the flesh because they're dealing with it as well. Your struggle is somebody else's answer. And you can be an instrument to help them overcome. We sat there on the couch for a while. We talked. We prayed. We shared with them what we had done. We stayed in touch a little bit. It's funny, two years later, I'm walking in the concourse at an Arkansas football game. They were probably playing Alabama. And I'm walking in the concourse, and this guy all of a sudden walks up to me and hugs me. And he's a bear of a man. And he's crying in that moment, telling me, thank you. It was him. There he was. And he remembered. When you serve, people are going to remember you served. When you serve, though, make sure we give the glory where it should go to God. Because that's the other part of Paul's lesson. You know, the reason he had a thorn in the flesh, the reason God said no, was so that Paul would know that God's grace was sufficient. That God's grace was all that he needed. It's all we need. And the thing that I really want us to take away here today, the last two points I've got, God is bigger than your thorn in the flesh. Hear me again on this. God is bigger than your thorn in the flesh. Satan does not want you to believe that. God loves you. I love Ephesians chapter 3 when we read over there about the width, the depth, the breadth of God's love for us. He loves us big. Our God is big. He loves us big. I love 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. There's a children's song. 
I won't sing it. I don't sing from the pulpit. I'm not Jace by any stretch of the imagination. Here's a children's song. Cast your burdens for he cares for you. Cast your burdens on Jesus for he cares for you. It's over and over again. Y'all, Jesus wants you to put your burdens on him. He wants you to let go of your burdens. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we all know it, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, and you'll be given what? The peace of God that passeth all understanding. God loves you, and God wants to take control. He wants your thorn in the flesh to be gone. By the way, Psalm 23, one of the great passages of the Bible. It's kind of like 1 Corinthians 13. I think we miss it sometimes. 1 Corinthians 13, we get to the wedding, we're going to read it because we think it's about romantic love. No, it's not. It's about the love we all have for each other. Psalm 23, we get over there and we want to read it at funerals. Psalm 23 is not for the dead. Psalm 23 is for the living. The person is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And who's there to come from? God is there to bring the comfort. God is there to support them. Your thorn in the flesh is no problem for God. He can take care of it. His grace is sufficient for you. And uh, my lessons, I usually, they're, they're developed in the, it, with groups. I talk to people about what I'm going to speak about. And I love it because my friend Chip sent me back a note last night. And he said, Gary, I like your point about God being bigger than the thorn you have in the flesh. But he says, you're missing something. Okay, well, thank you. It's Saturday night. I mean, I need a little help here. He says, Gary, not only is God bigger than your thorn in the flesh, he's wiser than your thorn in the flesh as well. God knows why he's got that in your life. God knows why he's given this to you or Satan's given it to you or wherever it came from. God knows why it's there. And he knows that his grace is sufficient. And he knows that you can use it to bring him glory. And bring him honor. God is capable of doing these things. By the way, a side note for you. It's, and it's kind of, uh, it's interesting to me. It's a coincidence. I didn't think about it until uh, the, uh, Friday sometime. At John Wayne Airport that I was flying into. And meeting with Burhan Nasser. This afternoon I'm flying back to Orange County for the first time since that day. I have avoided that airport for all these years. And today I am flying back there just because it was more convenient. I didn't want to drive. I'm having dinner with Burhan Nasser tomorrow night. God is bigger than our thorns in the flesh. He can take us to wherever he wants us to take us. Now, I want to bring this back, though, because there's one more place I want us to go. Because here's the reality. We all do have another thorn. We all do have sin. Okay, now we're changing gears a little bit here. You notice the box went from green to red. We're talking about something different here. God sometimes doesn't want to take away your thorn in the flesh. He's okay with you having it because there's purpose behind it. Your thorn of sin, God absolutely wants to remove that one. He absolutely wants to take that one away from you. I'm talking to some of you guys very specifically right now because I want you to hear me because I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you haven't been baptized yet. And it's because you, you struggle with this idea of sin. You struggle with this idea of, do I have to be perfect? You struggle with all these concepts. But here's the thing. All you've got to know is this. Are you a sinner? Yes. 
Is Jesus Son of God? Yes. Am I willing to repent of my sin and live for Him? Yes. If you know those things, it's time. It's time. Because God is big enough to handle your sin. Some of us adults out there, and now we're talking because we have sin too. And here's the thing, if I came through the room and said, what's your sin, Mark Yakely? Mark would know what his sin is. You know, if I came through and I asked you, what's your sin, Carl Berg? He'd know his sin. We all know our sin. Every one of us. God wants to give you peace from that. Because when we know what our sin is, we battle it every day. It slows us down. It makes us less effective than we might be for God. We have to let go of these sins and let God deal with them. He will do that. God, I love 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 6. Well, verse 4. God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, men, the man Jesus Christ. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to know the truth. The first truth, though, you have to know is the truth about you. And that is... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to deal with the reality of that. If you are walking around today with a burden of sin that just kind of keeps carrying you down and dragging you down, let's pray about that. Let's get together with some of our elders. They'll be in the back of the room here in just a minute. Let's meet some elders in the back and let's have prayers with them. Let's grab somebody you see in the auditorium, have a prayer with them and talk about the sin you're struggling with. Some of you need to take the first step and deal with your sin, and that is be baptized. Stop putting it off. Satan keeps telling you in your ear, no, not yet, not yet. You're not ready. Stop listening to Satan and listen to what God is telling you to do. He wants you to be saved. If that's what you want today, elders will be in the back. They can help you with that. Come grab Clayton. Come grab, come grab Jeff. Grab me. Grab somebody, and we'll get this all taken care of today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Peace. What we all want. When we let God handle things, the thorn in the flesh that you're dealing with, you can have peace from. When you let God deal with all things, the sin that you're struggling with, you can have peace from. Today is your day to find peace right now. And this is your opportunity as we all stand together and sing.